Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. We have waited 10 weeks, but finally the new Premier League season kicks off tonight. So much has changed. A new owner at Chelsea, a new manager at Manchester United, and new faces at Liverpool and Manchester City. But one thing that hasn't changed is the fact that this podcast, Football Social Daily, will be with you every single step of the way. No other podcast has a daily show covering the top flight of English football. And from this Sunday, we'll be back to seven episodes a week. Hit subscribe now to get your fix of this award-winning podcast every 24 hours. Buckle up because it's going to be a roller coaster, and it all begins tonight at Selhurst Park, where Crystal Palace, managed by Arsenal legend Patrick Vieira, entertain the Gunners. And the Arsenal are always entertaining in one way or another, aren't they? Surely they'll be getting off to a better start than they did last year. Gabriel Jesus is the name on everyone's lips, and he's the name in everyone's FPL team too. Fantasy Premier League is back and ahead of game week one, we'll be speaking to Tom from the FPL show who got the assist to figure out exactly where those differentials are to make a hot start to the fantasy season. And of course, it wouldn't be the first show of a new campaign without a good old prediction. We stuck our necks out and guessed who we think will be the big winners and losers of 2022-23. Welcome along to the show. My name's Niall McCorn and I've got two United fans with me on the podcast today. One Newcastle, one Manchester. Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor are here. Happy new season, fellas. Happy new season. Thank you for acknowledging that there's two Uniteds in the league as uh, everyone just blindly refers to United as Man United. Is uh, is there not four? There's West Ham and Leeds as well. I forgot about them. Come on, man. Ignore the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) Looking like it's going to be an exciting one. I mean, it's so hard to call who's going to finish in the top four, who's going to go down, who's going to finish in the Europa spots, but we'll try our very best to do that later on in the show. So welcome along to the podcast. If you're new around here and this is your first time ever listening to Football Social Daily, Thanks for joining us. We're a podcast with a new show seven days a week right throughout the season. We'll have all the big news and opinion on the best league in the world, as well as the thoughts of some former Premier League players throughout the course of the campaign too, and the latest FPL tips as well. And that's just a handful of some of the stuff that you can expect to come your way this term. So if you enjoy the show, why not hit subscribe like thousands of others have done? Over 2 million of you downloaded the podcast last season, and we are hugely appreciative of that. We're also appreciative of everyone who leaves a review. And that's exactly what Banana Boat 96 has done on Apple Podcasts. They say... Football Social Daily is energetic, insightful and fun. Also, sorry to sound old-fashioned, it avoids using much, if any, bad language. It doesn't need to and it's much better for it. I do have one tiny quibble, it's the sound. The volume is quiet one time and loud the next, but a very good podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, do it now. So thanks very much, Banana Boat 96 for your review via Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm not really sure how much of that uh, is just basically my bad editing. 
<laughs> the volume being up and down. Um, although I did get a little bit of a, an uptick for my editing for a decent use of the bleep button to stop Marley swearing every couple of minutes. We so... <laughs> can't listen to that many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bleep button certainly uh, is a, a pretty important tool for me when editing the show. But thank you very much for your review. And thank you if it is your first time or if you've listened many times throughout the podca- to the podcast throughout the last three or four seasons. We really appreciate it. And welcome to the new campaign, 22-23. And it all begins tonight at Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. The first game of the season is always a tough one to call, no matter who's playing in it. But last season, it was Brentford versus Arsenal. Arsenal were away last season on the Friday night, the opening game. And they found it tough, didn't they? Slow start to last season. Marley, Arsenal do seem favourites going into this game against Crystal Palace, particularly with the positive pre-season that they've had. Yeah, they do. Um, they struggled last season. They, I think it's always hard to play um, a newly promoted team on the first day of the season. And especially with Arsenal going to Brentford, Brentford's first ever Premier League game. And it was away on, and on Sky and under the lights and all the rest of it. It was... It was a recipe for a banana skin, really. Um, I think if if you were to choose who to play on the first day of the season, you'd probably want a home game against someone like Crystal Palace. Um, so going away to Crystal Palace is is not really the the hardest start you could ever have. Like they they they're getting better, Palace. We all we all know that the the their style changed massively last season, and they were much more exciting and, and dangerous to watch, but. You know, you, you want a team that's been there before and, and done it. You don't want a team that's got an extra 25-30% um, motivation to go and um, to go and turn you over like Brentford did last season and like Newcastle will have to deal with against Nottingham Forest tomorrow and, and Bournemouth and, and Fulham will take into their games as well. But um, I, th- I think Arsenal's pre-season, I know we, we always talk about should you, should you take notice of pre-season, but... The one thing that's happened in pre-season is Arsenal have got their attack sorted out. They've got Gabriel Jesus and he's banging in the goals. They've absolutely smashed uh, Sevilla to pieces the other the other week. I think it was six nil, wasn't it? In the end, so you know they're they're flying. Their confidence is is well high. Um, they've got plenty of of new faces that, that are in and around the team. Saliba's come back and looks looks like he's motivated and and wants to sort of push his way into the team. So there's competition at places. Um, Jesus is scoring goals. Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe are another year older, another year wiser. So I think I think I'm fairly confident around Arsenal to, at, at the minute. So when they get beat three one tonight and it's panic stations again, I'm going to look a bit silly, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> we'll find out whether you've got them in your top four predictions a little bit later on in today's episode of the podcast. But they can't get off to a worse start, the Arsenal, than they did last season, Joel. Um, three games into the season, and it was the international break. Arsenal were bottom of the table, not a point on the board. I mean, that was a bit of an anomaly. It was one of the worst starts Arsenal have ever had to a season in their history. You can't see that happening again, can you? Well, I was just going to say the Arsenal documentary is just released today. So if anyone wants a nice little recollection of that disastrous start, you can go and have a little (laughs) look before you actually watch the real thing tonight. But um, I think it's... It's a very new-look Arsenal team now. Everything's been really drastically changed since that game. Obviously, they had a number of COVID cases, and as Marley was saying, you know, it was Brentford's first Premier League game. There was a lot of intensity going into it, and I just don't think Arsenal were prepared. But it seems like we say the same thing about Arsenal every single year. When you have the pressured situations, they always seem to just crumble. But I would think on this occasion now, now that they've got you know the likes of Saliba coming in, Gabriel Jesus, Zinchenko, um, they've got players who have been like, for, especially the the City players, the two City players they've just brought in who've had a hand in Premier League titles and know what it takes to be involved in these pressured situations. I think they did need those kind of characters to just integrate themselves into the side. But the last time. Uh, Crystal Palace and Arsenal played each other at Selhurst Park. Pa- uh, Palace won three 0 and that was only about five months ago. So it's optimistic for uh, on in, in terms of Palace and their chances going into it. But yeah, like I say, with Arsenal, is a it should be a good feeling going into this season because they've spent a hell of a lot of money, which is what Arsenal fans have wanted for many many years now, even under Arsene Wenger. Um, and it just seems like a little bit more of a younger, fresher side. Whereas last season, you know, they had Aubameyang, Lacazette, and it just felt a little bit like 
it needed a refresh and they've done that this season so there can't really be too many excuses because the money's been spent but they're up against the Palace side who again you know last season I think they overachieved a little bit finishing 12th having an FA Cup semi-final um, it's not going to be an easy game for them but of course I'm sure we'll get on to how Palace are going to be without Conor Gallagher but it's going to be an interesting game because you know Arsenal the first game of the season there's always a big amount of pressure and Sellers Park has never been the easiest ground to go to yeah I mean you spoke about Aubameyang just there Joel and we're not going to talk about transfers on today's podcast because we've done that all summer but rumours and reports linking Chelsea with a move for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang along with the 97 other players that they seem to have been linked with this chance for window um, he is the latest name first game tonight for Martin Erdegaard as the Arsenal captain as well this evening at Selhurst Park against Crystal Palace and seeing as you touched upon it there Joel let's move straight on to it no Conor Gallagher for Crystal Palace and as you mentioned Marley they certainly improved last season in terms of the aesthetic of the team the style of play when Vieira came in it was a relative unknown there were some people writing Palace off saying they were going to go back to the championship and finish in the bottom three in the end it wasn't like that they had some contract issues they needed to sort out they did so Vieira seemed to take on from Roy Hodgson pretty comfortably in the end and they finished 12th and as Joel pointed out an FA Cup semi-final but Conor Gallagher was quite important to that he's not back at Crystal Palace he was of course on loan there from Chelsea how do you think that will affect them do you think that will be a noticeable difference without Conor Gallagher because he was important for them yeah I think he's a big loss to be fair I think I think it's one that's went slightly under the radar when you when you think about how Crystal Palace uh, played and operated he was central to a lot of things and he scored a lot of goals towards the towards the start of the season I seem to remember he, he, he sort of hit the ground running and uh, was in and around the England squad and stuff like that that's how well he was playing so uh, I'd be interested to see if they can get him back um, on another loan with with Chelsea just signing uh, Carney Chukwemeka from from Aston Villa can they you know are they are they open to allowing Gallagher to leave on loan again but We'll have to wait and see with with that, but yeah, Palace were were good towards. I mean, the start of last season they were they were pretty good. You know, there was there was real concerns about them. Like it was genuine concerns that trying to play a new style so quickly and bringing in a few new players and a new manager would could potentially be a recipe for for a bit of a struggle. But the way they they started the season pretty well, I think they drew quite a lot of the first first ten games, and that was a bit of a bit of a pattern for the season. I think they drew 15 in all in all league games. So, you know, nearly half the, the league games ended in draws. But, you know, they, they did all right last season. You know, positive goal difference, 12th uh, in the league, you know, three points off the uh, off the top 10. So if one of them draws had, had turned into a... Into, sorry, two of them draws had turned into a win, they would have finished, uh, would have finished ninth uh, or even eighth, actually. Um, so, you know, there's... There's sort of building blocks to like stepping stones to build on for Palace this season, but I'd just be a little bit worried they haven't got enough strike power um, with Mateta and and Edward up front. Neither of them did amazingly last year, and uh, if they can get enough from the midfield with Zahar and Eze and uh, Elise, you know they they should be all right and and should finish pretty similar to where they did last season, I would think. Yeah, you're spot on. No side drew more Premier League games than Crystal Palace last season. Ironically, actually, their rivals, Brighton, drew the same amount of games, 15, uh, but they won one game more and that put them up into ninth, their highest ever finish in the history of the football club, Brighton and Hove Albion, to finish ninth. So I think I seem to remember that Crystal Palace last season conceded quite a few late equalisers or few last minute goals to end up losing games and costing them points and if they can knock that on the head they'll have a much better chance of finishing higher yeah. up the table this season. I remember one of them was against Arsenal at the Emirates I think they, they lost uh, they lost a last minute goal and, and drew 2-2 I think it was but yeah they need to need to stop that because it, it was a clear sort of a hindrance to the season. Okay, Palace looking for improvement, as are Arsenal. They want to finish in the top four places this season. They lost out to their North London rivals Tottenham last time around. And Arteta certainly has got the positive vibes going around the Emirates Stadium, that's for sure. Quick score prediction then, lads. What are you going for, Joel, tonight? Crystal Palace versus Arsenal, the Premier League opener. Uh, A nice 2-1 victory to Palace. Okay, all right. I'm going for an away win. I think Arsenal will win. I don't know what by, but I think Arsenal will do the job tonight. What about you, Marley? Yeah, I'm going a 2-0 Arsenal with Jesus scoring. Is that because he's in your team? Yeah, and he's class. Yeah, well, <laughs> Jesus seems to be in everyone's fantasy football teams. And actually, 
before tonight's game, the deadline in the UK is 6.30 to get your fantasy Premier League team in order. I've sorted mine. There's no Jesus in my team. In fact, I don't think I've got any Arsenal players in my team. Is that going to give me the edge? We'll find out when we speak to Tom from the FPL podcast. Who got the assist about game week one in the FPL next after this? Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, where we're just a matter of hours away from the start of the new Premier League season. But there's even less time to get your fantasy team in order ahead of the opening weekend. It is, of course, Crystal Palace against Arsenal tonight. And that marks the start of another FPL season as well. It's back bigger and better than ever. And the deadline for game week one is tonight. So we thought we'd better speak to someone who knows exactly what they're talking about. Joining us on FSD today, we've got Tom from Who Got the Assist, an FPL show, which which is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Tom, good to have you. How are you doing, mate? Thanks for having me, Now, A pleasure to be here. A pleasure to be part of the Sports Social team, family, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, all good, all good. I'm really looking forward to the start of uh, the FPL season. This is, I think it's my sixth season of doing, creating content for fantasy football. And every year, is similar in pre-season, a lot of work to do, uh, but also every season's different. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this one unfolds. Yeah, you say the sports social family and we are like a legitimate family because we've had a lot of arguing over the last two days about who's got who in their team and whether they'll be any good or not (laughs) for this season. So that's made for some interesting conversations. I think the first thing we need to tackle is the games this weekend. Of course, it starts on Friday, but there are some decent fixtures this weekend, which has made it quite tough to try and choose who's going to wear the armband for my FPL team. Have you got any recommendations or advice if people are struggling on who to pin down as their skipper for this first game weekend? the season well I mean despite coming in as the most pricey player in FPL I, I really can't look past Mo Salah against Fulham or something that's a Saturday 3pm the guy is Mr FPL uh, he's scored over 200 points every season over the last five seasons he's been in FPL he's been in the top two for expected goal involvement every season since he joined the Premier League and on the opening day he's never failed to return so far so in the past he's got 17 20 12 8 and 11 Double that up. That's a really good opening day haul. Um, so I think that the decent fixture against Fulham and the fact that Guy is just a, a legit machine uh, when it comes to fantasy football means that he's kind of the one that I would be going for at the moment, or one I am going for. I've known, I know there's a few people who are looking at you know, likes of Kane, likes of Son as well, Southampton. Uh, do look like they've got a whole new look backline, a very youthful looking backline. And it could well be that it's the time again for them to be spanked, maybe 9-0. Um, <laughs> Kane, um, really, really impressive on the Conte. Uh, 0.65 expected goals per game. And Son, golden boot winner last year. Just ridiculous finishing ability. Either of them as well would be a decent call for captaincy. But I think it is Salah for me. And I think it will be Salah for a lot of people who play FPL. So, if you do have him in your team, uh, which I strongly advise you to have, um, I think it would have to be the Egyptian king. 
This might sound a bit petty, but being a Portsmouth fan, I'd happily finish bottom of our league if Southampton do get beat 9-0 at any stage throughout the season. I'd happily finish bottom of the FPL league for, <laughs> to trade off for that. I'm glad you mentioned you probably Salah. probably will anyway, Niall. <laughs> oh, come on, Marley. There's not enough of that. have not even played the first game yet. Um, I mean, talking of Salah, Liverpool always do seem to get a newly promoted team in their opening game of the season. As you say, Tom, Fulham this time. And I think for the last two seasons or a couple of seasons ago, they had Norwich, I seem to remember. Um, and uh, I think I triple captain Salah, and that was a pretty brave, bold move to do. But um, do you foresee anyone firing that triple captain early, considering Salah does have a really good opening day record, and it's against the side who are expected to go straight back down? Yeah, it's definitely one that you consider. I think it was against Leeds a couple of years back. That was Bielsa's Leeds' first game in the Premier League. He scored a hat-trick on the opening day. I think they won 4-3. And I think that... If I am somebody who holds my chips back for later on in the season, I'm somebody who wants to play my triple captain chip, my bench boost and things like that, when we've got double game week. So I've got more players who are going to be playing. I've got two bites of a cherry, as it were, of my captain. And last year I captained Salah and got a lot of points due to the fact that he scored a couple of penalties, um, did uh, got a couple of assists as well. And he had those two games to do it over. That said, if you are the sort of person who just kind of thinks, right, you know, screw it, I'm just going to get rid of my triple captain chip now, get ahead uh, from the first game week and then build from there. I, it's one of those where I, I can see why you do it. I wouldn't do it personally, but I can see why you would. In terms of Salah, you said a second ago that he's kind of a must-have in your FPL team for this season. Are there any other players that fit that criteria that you just can't foresee going the season or at least the first couple of game weeks without? Yes, yes, there are a couple. So I, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold... And Jao Cancelo are probably the two that I'd point at and say, you know what, okay, these guys are just monsters who are probably worth being in your team. I know that they're defenders, and I know that people in the past have kind of looked at the attacking players, but what's key about players like this is that they have multiple routes to points in fantasy football. Both teams have solid defences, so Manchester and Liverpool conceded the fewest goals last season in the Premier League, and that means they got the clean sheet potential, and they also have individually fantastic creative numbers. So Trent last year, best goal involvement, expected goal involvement of any defender by absolute miles, and he outdid loads of the midfielders and loads of the forwards in that as well. Took two goals and 12 assists, 208 points, and Cancelo too last season. He took loads of shots as well, like absolutely loads. I think he got over 80 shots, Cancelo and really really nice um, in terms of you know the potential for an explosive outcome with a player like that Um, I think he only got one goal and I think Statsbomb said that he was due four or five so I mean there's definitely a ceiling with Cancelo which hasn't quite been reached yet but those two they've been in my team since the season um, since the game reopened and they frankly haven't left the only other one that I would point out is the monster that is Gabriel Jesus. Now, I, I say monster because, not because of who he is. I mean, who he is, he's obviously very, very promising. I could wax lyrical about his numbers at Man City. We could ask the question, was his num- were his numbers so good just because he had the most crazy midfield in Europe behind him? But the reality is that Jesus is owned by nearly 75% of managers right now. Wow. So if you don't go with Jesus and he slaps against Crystal Palace or does well over the first kind of six game weeks it's really you need a really high risk appetite to go against that I can see why you wouldn't I mean maybe you want to go for Saka Martinelli and go like that with Arsenal a lot but this ownership I don't think we've ever seen a player so highly owned on game week one just because he's underpriced at 8 million so I think that he probably would be another one who I've put in alongside Salah Trent Cancelo who just hasn't left my team Marley have you got Gabriel Jesus in your team I can confidently say I'm one of the 75%. Yeah, I didn't realise it was it was that high, to be honest. That's that's a higher percentage than I've ever heard of. Usually you get Salah at like 60% or something like that. But it's because he's, I mean, like Tom said, he's, he's so cheap. He's so underpriced. He's going to play every game. Um, and it, I think it was a, a sort of advantage of, I think when the game was re-released, he was still a City player. So FPL went, right, 8 million because Haaland's going to play over him and Alvarez as well. And then as soon as he moved, everyone was like, wow, he's going to play. Um, so I've got him in mm. my team. I've got him up front with with Kane. Um, and my black and white allegiance has not let me um, 
ignore Callum Wilson at, at seven and a half. So I've <laughs> yeah. uh, I've got him in. As long as he stays fit, he'll score goals hundred percent. But it's it's whether his his hamstrings can last and his calves can last. But as of as of right now, <laughs> he's is, uh, yeah. he's he's fit and healthy. So. He's in my team as well. The old spaghetti hamstrings, Callum Wilson. Um, <laughs> someone who's also been questioned for his injury record and he hasn't even kicked a ball in the Premier League yet and may well be in a lot of people's teams is Erling Haaland. Have you got the jesus Haaland combo, Marley, or have you have you steered clear <laughs> for now? I did have until until Monday. <laughs> um, and then I, sudden, I, I looked and I, I watched the game at the weekend and, you know, he wasn't... He he wasn't incredible in the uh, in the Carabao Cup, but it wasn't so much that. Like I'm confident he's going to score goals, but I had Harling, Harland and De Bruyne, and uh, then I looked and I realised that for the same price I could get um, Kane and uh, Salah if I saved I think half a million on my on one of my uh, my goalkeepers. So I realised that um, with with Casper Schmeichel leaving Leicester, both Leicester goalkeepers are, are four million. So I've put put Danny Ward in, saved the half million, and went for for uh, Salah and Kane, especially with their opening fixtures being so favourful. Um, I, I went for them instead, and I might switch later in the season. But uh, for now, I've gone Kane and Salah, and uh, hope for the best. Yeah, I've gone down that Schmeichel leaving route as well, but I've gone for Daniel Everson instead of Ward, who's almost like the third choice keeper at Leicester. Has he been added now, is he? Yeah, he's been added. He wasn't in there for ages, but he's finally been added. Um, 45.5% of people right now have got Erling Haaland in their team. Close to 30% have got Kane um, and 20% have got Darwin Nunez. Any differentials you can spot, Tom, where people might be missing out on in terms of uh, the big names up front? Um, up front, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, uh, Marley just mentioned Callum Wilson. That's one worth looking at. 3% of all sides currently. Nottingham Forest is a very good starting fixture uh, for you guys. And then I think it's Brighton the next game. So a good early punt there, potentially. I really like Phil Foden. Um, I've, I think that, that that 8 million slot is very congested. You've got Luis Diaz, you've got Saka, you've got Mount, other players there who are fighting for that slot. But he, I think, is a really excellent pick if you do have Kane as well because you've got a route into that Man City attack. So as we know, he adopts intelligent attacking positions all over the pitch. And that translates into those fantasy football points that I mentioned earlier. So he's managed 6.6 points per 90 over the last two seasons, which is really impressive. You know, every game, you've got a reasonable expectation of you know, nearly seven points. Jesus, Sterling, both of them have departed the pastures new. And he's got a new contract as well, uh, Fiat Foden, I think. So at at 8 million, I think he could be a really nice little gamble at the start of the season if you're kind of minded to look for that kind of player. I've got Luis Diaz at the moment, but, you know, I really would like Foden. I mean, he could still come into my team later on today. I just, I, I really <laughs> like him. At some point, I think he's definitely gonna, he's definitely gonna come in. Yeah, don't want to get stung by that Pep roulette though. I think every fantasy no. manager has been done by Pep Guardiola's rotation. Yeah. Um, any dark horse picks? That was the big question from around our office before we spoke to you today, Tom. And that was, who are we looking at that could really come from nowhere and become a bit of an FPL legend? A couple of years ago, it was John Lundstrom. Uh, who's the next John Lundstrom? <laughs> Ooh, well, I mean, there are a few nominees. There's Pedro Neto, um, mm. uh, Wolves. Um, I think Jimenez's injury may slightly poo-poo him just because he doesn't perform as well. Um, I, think that's, I think he's kind of played with Jimenez and played without Jimenez for around 2,000 minutes each side and his XG and XA both fall off a little bit without Jimenez. Um, mm. There's Brent, Brendan Aronson that leads. Um, yep. got a, I think got a trio of assists in pre-season. Not very much is known about him. Um, he was at Red Bull Salzburg, I think it was, and there's no data on him, annoyingly, so I can't really do much beyond kind of read what someone thinks, but I need to see him in the flesh. The one that people have move towards is Jamaica's bobsleigh king is Leon <laughs> Bailey um, at Aston Villa. So he's just 5.0. And what's really interesting about Bailey is that at Leverkusen a couple of years ago, uh, he managed 0.51 uh, expected goal involvements per game. That, that's pretty damn good. He's got the pedigree. He came to Villa and last year was injured. He had loads of little kind of injury niggles, which which kind of ruled him out for a fair while. But he looks like he's fit. 
He's sharp in preseason. Gerard has said, you know what, this guy's going to play. And he fits a particular role in the Gerard team that we saw at Rangers as well, with the creative player on one side and Leon Bailey as the more direct threat on the other side. He's just five. And I think that he could be a really interesting option, especially kind of the first three fixtures. Bournemouth, Everton and Crystal Palace, they look good for a little punt. And if he scores against Bournemouth, I mean, Scott Parker's already kind of pulling the Lampard and throwing his players under the bus and saying, I need more, I need more sort of reinforcements here. If they start off well, Villa, against Bournemouth, there could be a bandwagon there with Bailey, which really starts to take off. I mean, admittedly, their fixtures do stiffen after a while, but he could be, you know, the early sort of season Kapoor type who just rises in price, you can have a little bit of fun with before you ultimately ship them off. All right, I might have to make a switch for Leon Bailey now. You've convinced me. You've convinced me, Tom. Oh, what are you doing to me? I mean, that's the, the beauty of FPL. Your mind can change all the time, but Tom will have all the latest information and data all analysed on who got the assist, which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Tom and Lucy will be sitting through every week looking through all of the best uh, FPL picks for you guys. So make sure you go and hit subscribe. And where can people follow you on social media as well, Tom? Because I know you're giving loads of advice on FPL over there. Yep, I'm on Twitter, predominantly at WGTA underscore FPL. That is the main place to reach me. Tom, great to speak to you, mate. As he says, you can go and follow Who Got the Assist over on Twitter. It's at WGTA underscore FPL. And go and subscribe to the podcast as well. Game week one is upon us. Go and listen to that after you listen to this. Nice one, Tom. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you, mate. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Great to hear from Tom there from the Who Got the Assist podcast, an FPL show which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Looking forward to how Fantasy Premier League does go for us this season here on Football Social Daily. And I'm also looking forward to about 10 months from now when we look back on this podcast and all the predictions and the fact that I've got every single one of them right and Joel and Marley are, what is it the kids say these days? Mudded. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> mudded. <laughs> mudded with their predictions. Um, no, I'm only messing. <laughs> what we like to do at the start of every season on Football Social Daily is basically have a look at what we think might happen in the upcoming 12 months. So we're going to go through between myself, Joel and Marley, who we think is going to be the best new signing, the best manager, the biggest flop, who's going to finish in the top four, who's going to go down and who are going to be the big underachievers of this Premier League season. So are you ready for this, lads? Have you got your have you got your choices? Yeah, my correct picks are looking me right in the face right now. All right then, Joel, you can go first then in that case. We'll start with the best new signing. There's been some... Uh, real interesting signings and a lot of new faces that have touched down in the Premier League. I think as we record this podcast, Maxwell Cornet, the Burnley winger, is undergoing a medical at West Ham. So he's swapping one type of claret for another. And, you know, he's another new signing that we'll see back in the Premier League for another season. I presume you haven't chose him as your best new signing. Who have you gone for? No, I've gone for Kalidou Koulibaly for Chelsea. I just think that after having the third best defensive record last season in the Premier League and then losing pretty much the heart of the defence where Antonio Rudiger's obviously went to Real Madrid on a free transfer. Christensen's gone to Barcelona on a free transfer. Aspilicueta's a year older, as is Thiago Silva. It was always going to be a massive task to try and rejig that central defensive 
partnership that Thiago Silva was basically just being left on his own with it just reminds me of that meme of Will Smith in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when he goes back to the house and there's just no one left Thiago Silva's just there <laughs> on his own he had no one around him when he first came back um, but I think Koulibaly it's been a long time coming for him in the Premier League he's been linked yeah. consistently every single summer for around eight seasons about four now. years yeah, yeah or maybe even more yeah he's been maybe. he's been around for a long time obviously De Sanctis um, Napoli's president is renowned to be a tough tough negotiator and Koulibaly even said in his press conference that um you know he never wanted to go against Napoli to try and get a move because he respected them giving him um a chance in Italy so now is the right time he's still around his peak I would say I wouldn't say he's at the top of his game anymore but I do think he's going to be such a massive player for Chelsea next season in terms of being such a sure and solid figure in that defence after Rudiger was for all these last two years pretty much so I think it's a it's a shrewd signing from Chelsea and I think he's going to become a real fan favourite there Okay Kaladu Koulibaly is not one that I would have thought of I must be honest what about you Marley have you gone defensive minded or have you gone attacking minded uh, I'm going for a, as maybe predicted uh, an attacker I'm going for the I've got to go for the obvious one I'm going to start off obvious and and put my uh, eggs in the Erling Haaland basket. I can't see I can't see him flopping. I know he was quiet in the uh in the uh community field last week, but I think he's um I, I just think he's he's too good to to not do anything. I think he's it, the way once he gets used to how City are playing, I think he'll be a beast and you know, I think he's got a decent shot at winning the golden boot. Um Harry Kane will be right up there as well, but um, I'm I'm probably going to go for Erling Haaland and the the machine at Man City. Well, I mean, I would have picked Sterling, but then I thought he's a new signing for Chelsea, but he's not new to the Premier League, so I don't know if I would really consider that fair to to pick him as a new signing. So I've gone a little bit left field. I watched a couple of Aston Villa's games in pre-season, and I quite like the look of their new centre half, Diego Carlos. He looks nasty. He looks angry, a bit of the old school. Looks like he's, he's going to get a few yellows and reds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely looks like there's going to be a bit of that going on. So not necessarily the best new signing, but maybe someone who I'm quite excited to see how he gets on. Okay, let's move on to best manager. I mean, it's been Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp for the last four or five years, Joel. Uh, are you going to choose one of those two? No, I think this season I'd give it to Antonio Conte. I think that he's just going to get an extra 10% out of, especially that forward line. Because if we remember Kulazewski, he only came in in late January and he got nine assists and six goals in the Premier League, which is pretty impressive for just half a season. And now he'll have a fully firing Harry Kane. Um, Son Heung-min, who's just come off the back of getting the golden boot in the Premier League, alongside getting, um, you know, Perisic and shoring up that midfield. It's, I think it's it's a totally new look side where I think everyone's going to go up 10%, and that's purely because of Conte. Um, so I think they're massive dark horses this season, and I do think he's going to get a big amount out of this well, basically, the, the Spurs side who he's got available to him at the moment compared to last season. So I think he will be a manager to watch, especially going towards the title. I might look absolutely stupid in around four months' time where he's been sacked after a poor start. Um, but I do think he's he's, he's going to get a massive amount of that Spurs side. I'm going to go with Eric Ten Hag. And I know it's a bit of a risky one, but I think that if he can make Manchester United into a force again, if he can make Manchester United a side who can also win trophies. It's been five years since Manchester United last won a trophy. And by the time the silverware's dished out in spring 2023, it'll be six years. And for a club like Manchester United to go six years without silverware, it's quite staggering to think about how dominant they were when I was growing up watching the game and they would win pretty much everything. So for them to go that long um, and have a bit of a trophy drought, for Eric Ten Hag to come in and, and change that, because I think as far as I can remember watching Manchester United as a neutral and from afar over the, the last 20 years of the Premier League that I've been watching it, um, I don't think I've ever seen them so poor. So for him to come in and possibly pick things up again and get them to finish in the top four, I don't think that qualifies him as manager of the season, by the way. I think Manchester United's squad before Eric Ten Hag was more than capable of finishing in the top four. But if he manages to get them 
on an even footing and a competitive footing again and you're getting them competing for silverware and not getting beaten four by Leicester and four by Watford and teams like that, then um, then I think for me, he, he could be in with a real shout of being manager of the season, depending on how Manchester United go. What about you, Marley? Um, Eddie Howe is someone you're a big fan of, being a Newcastle fan. Have you picked him for manager of the season? Uh, I'd love to, but... Uh, I thought that was a banker. But... <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't really because people listening would just be like oh he's just going to be on the Newcastle bandwagon <laughs> and also it'd look a bit daft if uh, if I go up tomorrow and we get beat by Nottingham Forest and I come back with a tail between my legs on Monday um, yeah for, out of everyone I'd I mean when, when, when everything's sort of settled at the end of the season I can see I can see the case for Conte. I think he's going to be hard to beat. I think Spurs will will crack that uh, that top three. I think they'll they'll push, they'll close the gap massively on on Liverpool and City. I don't think they'll quite get there, but they'll uh, they'll be right up there with uh, with that. I would, I, I'd probably yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to go Conte as well. But you know, I th- I think there's there's scope for for Eddie Howe to be in that in that conversation if if Newcastle finish seventh, for example, or sixth. You know, if they can do that, that's a huge achievement, and uh, you know something that shouldn't be overlooked, especially where we were, you know, a, a year ago going into the season with with Steve Bruce in charge and, and going the first fourteen games without a win and somehow finishing eleventh at the end of it. If we can carry on that momentum, then you know, top half's a definite uh, a definite target. Um, having finished, I think it was three points off it in the in the last season, so. It's uh, it's wide open for him to be honest. But any any manager that stays up this season, I think there's a there's a case for um, for uh, Steve Cooper at at, Nick, at Nottingham Forest. If they stay up, you know, yes, could easily mm. he, he could be. I mean, he probably won't win the award for manager of the season, but you know, unofficially, everyone could 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 look at at Forest and go, they've done brilliantly um, after signing so many players and. And getting them all to bed in. If they do stay up, then then that could be a big achievement for for Steve Cooper. But in reality, that is a hard thing to it's a hard thing to get. I think they've got twelve new signings. It's a hard thing to get them all bedded in. But if you can pull it off, then that's a that's a case for him as well. Okay. Well, let's move on to who's going to flop. So we've spoken about who the best new signing might be, who the best manager might be. We'll start with you on this one, then, Marley. Who's going to be the biggest flop of season twenty two twenty three? The biggest flop. I've, I was I was tempted to go for Darwin Nunes, but I don't think he'll flop as much as I, uh, much as I expect him to, to well I expect him to to do decent things. To be fair, um, so out of everyone, I'm gonna go for the biggest flop to be Jesse Lingard at Nottingham Forest. Ah, oh, make it two. That's mine as well. Is it? <laughs> See, yeah. For me, it's just like I don't too much fanfare, Marley. Yeah. Too much fanfare. I think when. When you expect massive things of Lingard, I think that's when he is not at his best. I think when you expect very little from him, like when he went on loan to West Ham, nobody was really expecting him to to smash it. And he went there and the pressure was off and he just played and he just went, right, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this. And you know, his best form came to the forefront. But but now with, um, with Forrest spending so much on him and there being such a drawn-out, transfer chase and will he go to West Ham no will he go to Everton Newcastle Leicester you know and he ends up at Forest you know with the wages and stuff they're paying him there's a lot of expectation um and even though he did it for six six months at West Ham and that was brilliant I can't see him maintaining that for a full season in a much worse team than West Ham or well, what should be anyway, a much worse team than West Ham were, because West Ham were pushing for Europe and the Champions League when he joined them. Now he's joining a team that was playing Luton Town away last season, so it's not a, um, it's not the same thing really. Um, and I think to be the glue that knits them all together in a very inexperienced side, a very new side, um, is a huge task, and I can't see him being able to to drag them through the the huge part of the season with uh, with enough points on the board at the end of it. Okay, me and Marley have gone for Lingard. What about you, Joel? I was in a bit of two minds about this one, but I've gone for Gianluca Scamacca and that's just because history is not <laughs> looking good for him. 
when you look at West Ham's previous strikers, by the way, I want to give a shout out to Marley for spending like a month on West Ham's failed strikers on Twitter. Go and see the thread if you've not seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, at FSD pod on Twitter, go and check yeah, it out. Yeah, there's a whole thread of West Ham's failed signings as, as strikers go and it's not looking great for them. I really don't know what kind of curse has gone on there, but it just never seems to work out. And then when you add to it the fact that very rarely an Italian player takes to the Premier League in the way in which Zola or Di Canio took to it, it's not looking great for him. I know he's coming off the back of a very good season with Sassuolo, 16 goals in 36 games. But you can name so many players in Serie A where they've had a breakout season uh, you know, Vlahovic being one, we've got a £70 million transfer to Juventus. You've got Piatek, you've got, I think, 20-odd goals for Genoa, and they ended up going to Milan and absolutely flopping. Uh, Belotti, who had amazing seasons at Torino, ended up now being on a free transfer. He's not got a club. I'm really wary with these breakout strikers in Syria. I know he's had a couple of good seasons in Syria at the moment, obviously with Sassuolo and Genoa, but... West Ham just don't seem to be able to crack that code with the striker, and I don't really understand why it is. Um, they've paid a big amount of money for him as well, thirty-five million. I think if there's if there's one thing that's going for him, it's the fact that Luis Campos, who's the PSG director, who was famously the director at Monaco as well when they brought in all those ridiculously talented players and got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. Um, he wanted him at Paris Saint-Germain, but they just got priced out, which is quite strange. Um, I just, honestly, I just have bad vibes about him with West Ham. I don't think he's going to take to it in the way in which he took to it as Sassuolo. Maybe he'll be a very slow starter, but I mean, look at Sebastian Aller. He, he, didn't really show his true form, went to Ajax and become one of the top scorers in the Champions League last season. So it's going to be, it'll be interesting. He's a massive, I mean, he's got the stature and the physicality, but so did Haller, so did Zaza, so did so many others. So I think it's not looking great for him. I do think he's going to flop big time at West Ham, unfortunately. Two votes for Lingard. I was going to say two votes for Lampard. Um, definitely isn't him. Two votes for Lingard and one vote for Gianluca Scamacca at West Ham for flop signing of the season. We're going to move on now to our top four teams before we talk about who's going to go down and who will be the biggest underachievers. I'm going to hazard a guess that all three of us have got Liverpool and Manchester City in our top four for the season. So let's not worry about those two and let's ask Joel who's going to take the other two top four spots and where in the top four are they going to position? Yeah, I've gone with Spurs and Arsenal. Um, I've gone for Spurs as second. I don't know if I'm underestimating... Oh, ahead of who? Ahead of Liverpool or Man City? Liverpool, and I don't know if I'm underestimating Liverpool a lot this season. I just have my eggs all in the Tottenham basket this season. I know Owen, who works with us, is going to be absolutely loving my comments at the moment and it's all going to turn to next season. Um, (laughs) But uh, I, I do think they've got a really good kind of squad going into it especially when you've got Harry Kane and Hyun Son to win your games and they're easily 25 to 30 goal a season players you've got a great chance of going for you know the best titles so I've gone for them ahead of Liverpool just because of the Mane absence but I mean it seems as though there's so many other players who can fill in his boots even when you look at Luis Diaz for example he looks like he's going to get some serious numbers next season but yeah, I've gone with Tottenham. I'm going to hang my hat out on that one. And then I've gone for Arsenal. It was a big toss up between them and Chelsea. But I think everyone's looking at Chelsea at the moment. I just don't know where the firepower comes from up front. Apart from Sterling, who I think is definitely going to have a great season with them. They need a top number nine. And Kai Havertz is not the player. And then on your right wing as well. I mean, who are you relying on? Werner looks like he's on his way out. Zayech looks like they're trying to get him out. And then who do you rely upon then? I think there's still going to be a lot of movement from Todd Bowley from now until the end of the transfer window. So hold that thought for the minute. But right now, I'm going to go with Arsenal just because they seem a little bit more sure fit. They look a bit more ready. But let's see on Monday after tonight because, you know, Arsenal are Arsenal. And on an opening night, I don't trust them massively. So let's see how we do on Monday. But yeah, for now, I would say Arsenal over Chelsea. Okay, Joel's gone for Manchester City, Tottenham, Liverpool and Arsenal. 
Of course, there are 26 days to go until the transfer window officially closes. So these predictions might look a little bit foolish in 10 months time if someone has made some serious signings. Could that be Chelsea? Well, actually, in my top four, I've omitted Chelsea as well. I don't think they'll finish in the top four. I've gone for the same top three as Joel, except I've got it as Man City, Liverpool and Tottenham in third. And in fourth position, I've gone for Manchester United. I do think God, they'll finish in the top four. In all of us. You know. have more belief than all the fan base put together. <laughs> I just think that considering how low they reached last season, as I've mentioned already on today's show, I, I just can't see them being allowed by Eric Ten Hag to, to slip to those standards again. It is his first season in the Premier League. It is going to take patience. But from what I've seen so far, particularly in pre-season, and I know that isn't the biggest gauge, uh, and the signings they've made, I think that they are in a better position to finish in the top four this season, particularly with a new era taking place at Chelsea. As you say, the unpredictability of Arsenal. I think in terms of the quality of the two teams, I'd say Arsenal and Manchester United are on a par at the moment. So I've actually gone for Arsenal to finish fifth, but I don't think it'll be by much. So Manchester United are in my top four. We'll see how that goes, of course, because it looks like Anthony Martial who's pretty much their only recognised striker, is injured. Cristiano Ronaldo, we don't know what's going on with him. So who knows who Eric Ten Hag is going to play in their opening fixture against Brighton. But I've put Manchester United as my fourth place team this season, along with Spurs, Liverpool and Manchester City to take up the other three spots. Come on then, Marley, let's uh, let's close off this top four chat. Who who have you picked? Uh, I've gone similar to you. I've got, I've got the top three the same, um, but I've got uh, I've got the same four. As uh, as Joel, but just in different order. So I've gone City to win the league, uh, Liverpool second, Spurs third, and Arsenal fourth. Um, mainly because I think the the gap between City and Liverpool uh, and the rest is is too big to to um, to overcome in in well this season. Um, I think Spurs will be the best of the rest. I think they'll have slightly more than Arsenal, and I think the pair of the them two will have more than Chelsea. You've, you know, you two have just gone into it there. You know, they've, they've still got no centre forward. They've still got work to do in the transfer window. I think they've got to need to sign a striker. But if Havertz starts the season, I can't see him scoring the goals to push them into the top four. Um, and then I've got Man United outside them as well. So Chelsea fifth and Man United sixth. So in the uh, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think there's going to be that much to change um, in terms of the top six, but. The way the the sort of transfer window has been, I think it it hinders Chelsea the most. And even if they sign Mark Cucurella, I, I don't think he's um, enough to push them in at the top four. Purely because I think the the other end of the pitch is what needs to be improved at Chelsea. So um, I can see them slipping outside into the Europa League. Okay, well, who's going to slip down to the Championship, let alone out of the uh, the Premier League top four? Let's talk about the bottom three now. My predictions are that all three of the new teams are going to get relegated, Joel. I think Fulham, Bournemouth and Nottingham... When was the last time that happened? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. But it doesn't happen often. If you think about the teams that have come up in the last few seasons, Sheffield United came up, did really well in their first season. Brentford last season did very, very well. Um, Leeds United managed to do it. Aston Villa managed to do it. You often do get one side that seems to break away from the other two promoted teams. And actually... Quite strangely, it seems to be the team that doesn't win the championship the season before that tends to be the one that does best in the Premier League. Who knows why? I'm not saying that's going to happen again this time. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I think Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth and Fulham will all go down. I imagine that you've got a similar theory, Marley, that a couple of the new boys will be sucked straight back down. I do, yeah. Um, I've, I mean, I've done my full full predictions and you can see them on the, the Twitter page, but I, I might be... I'm torn basically. I think Fulham and Bournemouth will go. Um Fulham do this do this every year. You know, they come up, they play nice football, but it's not it's not hard enough. It's not uh it it doesn't give teams enough to think about. It's just pretty little patterns. No in one's front of scared them. of Fulham, are they? Yeah, and you know, it it's no surprise as to how um Mitrovic scores barely any goals is because, you know, in the in the championship, they can have 65% possession quite comfortably, but in the Premier League, you're having 45, 50 if you're lucky, and it's not enough to get Mitrovic into dangerous positions. So they need to change that. Um, can they do it this time round, as opposed to the two other times in the past four years that they've came up? I, I don't think so. So I think they'll go. I think Bournemouth are absolutely knackered. Um, just looking at who they've signed this summer, Ryan Fredericks, Marcus Tavernier and Joe Rothwell. 
from you know two championship signings from Blackburn and Middlesbrough, and then a, you know West Ham's third best right back. That is that is staggeringly bad. I can't see. I don't know. I mean, Dominic Solanke's not going to score you 15, 20 goals in the season, is he? And, and and keep you up. I think I think they'll go pretty quickly. To be fair, so I think they'll finish bottom. But the team that I've finished uh, that I've got coming 18th is a team that I picked to struggle last season, and they also they did they did struggle in the end. But they they had enough of a a green patch in the sort of middle third of the season that that ultimately kept them up, and that is Southampton. Um, because I think Southampton's Southampton's business again has been risky, uh, very risky. Because they seem to they put a lot of faith in in youth, and they've put a lot of players in uh, a lot of faith in players that are coming from uh, from you know Man City. They signed Gavin Bazunu and Romeo Lavia. You know none of them have kicked a ball in the Premier League yet. Joe Aribo making the step up from Rangers. He does look good, to be fair. But you know is what else? You know the step up is huge, basically. Um, Seku Mara from Bordeaux. I don't know anything about him. Um, Armel Belakochap from Bochum. Who's that? I don't know. Um, and also the kit's absolutely horrendous. So I'm uh, I, I'm open to watching them go down if I'm honest. But I think I think I think Ralph Hasenhutl is a good manager, but his it's just his business doesn't fill me with much confidence. I don't think they've got enough goals in the team. You know, Che Adams, Adam Armstrong, you know, other than Ward-Prowse slapping in free kicks every other week, you're never fully sure where they're going to get the goals from. Um, so I think I think they might struggle. I, I don't know if they'll go down. I've, I've picked them to go down, but I don't know if they'll... They'll be down there, but it'll be... If Forrest can get to a level where they're picking up points, you know, here and there, I think they've got enough to, to pip Southampton. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But it's a it's a bold strategy. But let's see <laughs> it's if a bold strategy, down. Cotton. Um, and just going full <laughs> yeah. Kevin Keegan, I would love it, love it if Southampton went down. I would absolutely love it. Come on then, Joel. Let... Meet in the Championship next season if that happens. Oh mate, I'd love that. If everything goes well, we'd get hammered. But I'd love it. Um, <laughs> Joel. Who's your relegated teams? Let's wrap this up nice and quickly then. Yeah, the exact same reasons from you two, for Fulham and Bournemouth, having their absolute sure fits. Uh, my 18th place team is going to be Brentford. And I just think towards the end of the season, they really started to slow down a little bit. And now that they've lost Christian Eriksen, who was really so influential to that team at the end of last season, I think it's going to really pay the price. Uh, they've not made incredible signings. I think one of the main ones is Damsgaard. Um, who was one of the best players in the Euros, I think, a, a year or so ago. He will be decent for them, but I just don't think they've got enough in that side. So I do think they're going to slump and finish 18th. Okay, I was going to say let's pick Premier League underachievers of the season, but I think what we should do is also elect a first manager to be sacked. So let's try and wrap this up in one nice little parcel. My underachievers of the season are going to be Chelsea. I think Chelsea are going to finish 6th or 7th. I think they're going to struggle this season. I think there were times last season where Thomas Tuchel wasn't sure why he was getting adverse results and that's always a concern. And I think in post-match press conferences he was saying, I don't know why the players look tired. I don't know why this is happening. And whether you know that is actually what he believes or not, it's slightly disconcerting to hear a manager say, oh, I'm not sure what the problems are. It's like, well, listen, mate, it's your job to figure out and figure out pretty quickly. Um, that's not to slight Thomas Tuchel, I think is an excellent manager. I just think Chelsea, for whatever's gone on behind the scenes with the change of ownership, lots of changes at board level, lots of personnel changes as well with big players leaving like Antonio Rudiger leaving. I know Koulibaly's come in as almost a direct replacement. But again, where are Chelsea's goals going to come from? They need a striker after Lukaku's left. I just can't see Chelsea finishing in, in the top four. And I think sixth or seventh will be the best they can hope for this season. So those are my underachievers. As for first manager to be sacked of the season, that's a tough one. Frank Lampard's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders, hasn't he, at Everton? So, I mean, if he doesn't manage to get Everton off to a decent start and around Christmas if they're struggling I just wonder whether 
Farhad Mashiri will pull the trigger and say thanks, but no thanks to Frank Lampard. Um, Leeds United as well. Jesse Marsh, bit of pressure on him. First full preseason under his belt. Came in after Bielsa. Never the easiest of challenges. And um, we'll see how he gets on. I'm not sure who the first casualty will be of the season, but um, I have a hunch it could be between those two, Everton and Leeds United, Lampard and Jesse Marsh. What about you, Joel? Who are your underachievers and who do you think is going to be the first manager to get the axe? Uh, underachievers, I think it's going to be my club, Manchester United. I think there's only so much you can do with the 11 planks of wood from last season. Um, it looks like it's going to be a same... You can build a bridge. Yeah, you can build well, a bridge with 11 planks gonna, of wood. It's not, going to be that, it's not going to be that bloody stable though, is it? I want titanium. Um, this, Yeah, it's going to be the exact same lineup. <laughs> That'll sink even faster. It's going to be the exact same lineup from last season, which is an absolute joke considering it was the worst Premier League campaign that United have ever been in. Um, so I don't have faith in the board. I don't have faith in the people running the club at the moment. Um, and there's only so much Ten Hag can do. So until there's an absolutely miraculous recovery in the transfer window from now until the end of August, um, I don't think there's a great feeling around the club at the moment. We're just so short in so many areas. So I think a miracle or bust for this season. Um, and I think for first sacking I think I agree with you it's going to be either Lampard or I think Marco Silva uh, just because I can see Bournemouth and Fulham having a really torrid time at the start of the season but now that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to be out for six weeks six Mm. weeks yeah that's I think that's a huge blow for them because they don't really well they don't have Richarlison to lean on anymore so it's going to be a difficult task getting goals in that Everton side and I don't think the signings have been up to scratch either so I think Lampard is going to be under pressure straight away this season. So between him and Marco Silva, I would say for me. Great shout. Marco Silva loves a sacking. Sacked by Hull, sacked by Watford, sacked oh, by Everton. compensation. <laughs> he's, he's on his fourth Premier League sacking. Do you agree with what Joel was saying? Yeah, I think um, I think Marco Silva's got his work cut out. But I think manager-wise, it's between Lampard and, and Scott Parker. I think they'll they'll go within weeks of each other, to be fair. I think... Uh, Scott Parker at, at Bournemouth, he's you know he's not the most experienced. I think it'll be one of them signings where you go, well, they're going down. Uh, one of them sacking, sorry, where you you look at the club and say, well, they're going down anyway. Anyone's going to struggle to keep them up, but the owner will maybe think about it anyway and go, well, I've got to try something, and you know I'll, I'll try and get someone in um, who can who can work with these lot. But I think him and him and Lampard. I mean, as as you just said there, there's no striker for the first six weeks of the season. They've got Anthony Gordon to and, and Dwight McNeil to rely on. Dwight McNeil's a great crosser, but he's got no one to cross it to. Solomon Rondon suspended for the first game. Um, I think that there's huge problems there, and also the biggest thing about Everton is the fact that Mashiri never he never fully wanted Lampard. I don't think. I think the Lampard was Everton's fans' choice rather than Mashiri's choice. Mashiri chose um, chose Rafa Benitez over Lampard last time. So I think if things start going wrong, I don't think it'll take much to turn his head because they only just survived last season. So if they get off to you know first eight games and they've won one of the first eight or something like that and they're sitting 19th in the table, I think Mashiri will get really, really itchy knuckles and start saying, right, uh, who else is out there? But... The one thing I would put my absolute life on um, is Sean Dyche being manager of a Premier League club by the end of the season. Oh, 100%, I love I it. I could 100% see Lampard going and Dyche coming in at Everton. It just makes so much sense. Like, it it makes... It, it sort of makes no sense in terms of how Everton play and stuff, but if Everton can't play on the front foot and they need the defence sorting out, you know, who do you bring in? You bring in Sean Dyche, who, who kept a, a very thin Burnley squad in the Premier League for, for seven or eight years, it was. Um, he's mm. out of work. He's clearly waiting for a Premier League job to come around. It it didn't happen last season, but obviously we know of five or six managers get sacked every year in the Premier League. So if you're looking at that and saying if Lampard starts underachieving, I think Sean Dyche is waiting in the wings. I think he's already picked out a, a little uh, place in Merseyside as well to, uh, to rent out for a few <laughs> months, but... Yeah, I think um, I think that'll happen. And, and as for underachievers, I've mentioned them before. Southampton, I think, will underachieve. I, well, I meant I mentioned that I think they'll go down. But if they don't go down, they'll still underachieve. I don't think they'll be any higher than sixteenth. And I think for a club that's been in the Premier League as long as Southampton, you should be getting better year on year um, and spending money and, and doing things. 
you know, it just improving basically, and I don't think they are improving. I think they're closer to to regressing and going backwards than they are going forwards. Um, and even if they don't survive, uh, even if they if they if they do survive, I still think they'll they'll be underachieving for a club who should be looking towards the uh, the mid table, top ten, top sort of area between tenth and thirteenth uh, as a comfortable finish. But I don't think they'll do that. That's a great shout about Sean Dyche. Forgot he was without a job. I think you're right. I think we might see him back in the Premier League this season. Who knows? But the best way to keep up to date with everything that goes on in the top flight of English football is to subscribe and listen to this podcast, Football Social Daily, seven days a week. From Sunday, Fergal Brennan will be back looking back across that first weekend of Premier League action and from there on in every single day of the campaign right throughout the international breaks and up to the World Cup as well we'll be bringing you brand new daily podcasts so hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one follow us on Twitter at FSDpod and enjoy tonight's game Crystal Palace against Arsenal it's the curtain raiser and that's it from us have a great weekend we'll see you the other side Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.